Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come tonight to continue to look into your word with regard to with regard to what you have to say about this uh, unity and growing in you. And we just ask that you would lead and guide us in our discussion, help open our minds and speak to you at our time tonight, Lord, as we learn together in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The last uh, few months, I've come under a stronger conviction, increasingly stronger conviction, that the time is short and we need to be filled with holy chutzpah, courage, uh, not not just, uh, you know, sometimes we say, uh, Lord, get me through... And uh, basically grind our teeth and say, um, somehow we'll get through. And at some point, God convicts us of the fact that He will get us through, at which point we say, okay, Matthew 6.33, and remember, y'all remember that? Yes. I know you do, Michael. Anybody else? Mike, Matthew 6.33. Seek first. Huh? Seek first. The kingdom of God. And? And all other things will be added. All these things will be added. So you find yourself in the middle of a rough situation, and all you can see are the alligators around you wanting to snap at you. And you can either focus on that, or you can say, no, we're going to take a different approach. Uh, The kingdom has to advance, and I want to be part of it. Which means that we have a basic conviction that God will indeed get us through, that God will indeed provide that God will indeed take care of what is needed and that God will equip us for the tasks that He has in mind for us. Because after all, if it is His kingdom and His work, it's His problem and His responsibility and we simply need to to make ourselves available. Say, God, here I am. I am anxious in a positive sense. I'm anxious to get motivated, and I'm anxious to engage, uh, to engage in the work that you've prepared for me to do. And so part of the issue here is that we learn to shed the uh, sense of self-deprecation. You know, who am I? You know, God, you've got so many more clever people and so many more dynamic people and I'm just me and I'm having a hard time and so on and so forth. We learn to get rid of that and the focus no longer becomes me and what I'm going through or me and my insecurities or me, period. The focus becomes on on God. And we want to say, Lord, uh, as we saw this Shabbat, Matthew 9... 36 and 37. Anybody remember? 
some somebody other than Michael and Linda. What did Yeshua say to the disciples? Matthew six, Matthew nine thirty six to thirty seven. Let's turn to that. See who is our reader, Armano. Yes, that one, the younger Armano. Younger. <laughs> Everybody I asked to to do something has got a mouthful of food. You know what's this world coming to? The show went about all the towns and villages, pitching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and wickedness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were um, harried and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the town within, the harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers to gather in his harvest. Thank you. So this is a challenge that the Lord puts before us and he says the harvest is rich. In other words, you see all the stuff that's going on, all the mishigas, all the wackiness of this world and, and you say, that doesn't define reality for me. What defines reality for me is the fact that, that God is at work and he tells me that there is a harvest. In other words, there are people who have a basic hunger for God and who need to encounter Him, and I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that, meaning I want to do my assignment. Not to fix anybody and everybody, but I want to do my assignment. And so, again, but that assumes that we understand the fact that God... God's kingdom has to advance. So we've been looking at that um, in a couple of areas the last couple of weeks uh, about the fact that it is God's will for us to grow together and that uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about how we grow together by the Spirit. And this is something that I found over a number of years that there are a bunch of people that don't understand the fact that the Holy Spirit is alive and well. I mean, we all know that, that up here, but then we act as if we are practical atheists. What do I mean by that? In other words, that God lays out all these wonderful commandments, and we sit down and we say, okay, let me see how I can do it, how I can do this, how I can do that, totally oblivious to the fact that, A, I cannot do any of it, that what God calls me to do is impossible, that the only way the work and anything can get done is when I learn my place, when I learn the fact that I need to depend on the Spirit of God, and when I learn to simply say, God, fill me, so that what comes out is what is necessary. 
Romans 8, 1 through 16. And last week we talked about how that when people isolate themselves, that is a choice. It is a choice to isolate themselves, just like when we choose to come together, that is a choice as well. And we choose to come together knowing that we can thrive together because that's what the Word of God says. The, the Word of God over and over and over and over and over again says to us that God will only give us certain things when we are engaged with the body of believers. Amen. Not superficially, but engaged. Uh, as our dear friend and elder... Uh, Michael likes to point out, Scripture is full of one another's. And by the way, since I am somewhat OCD, um, I use my computer to find out that there are 60 times in the letters, the epistles, that mention one another or each other. So what does that suggest to you? We need each other. Yeah. We need each other. Anything else? Be concerned about need to be concerned about each other, that whatever God has for us can only take place as we're connected to each other. And yet there are some things that God does with us individually. You know, uh, we're like Jacob. We have to wrestle with God, with the angel. Uh, but that has to be in conjunction with the things that God does with us when we're together. So, tonight we'll talk about all you need is love. <laughs> so the question obviously is, what does Scripture mean when it speaks about love? So, uh, I'm glad you asked. And uh, I want to talk about words. First of all, Hebrew, of course. And there are three, actually there are more than three, but we'll look at three basic words. Chesed, Ahava, and Cheshek. How do you spell uh, the last one? C-H-E-S-H-E-K. So we all know Chesed because we hear it all the time, right? It looks like chest. Yeah. All right. And chesed means? Covenant committed love. Covenant committed love. Okay. That's why we talk about membership, because membership for us is a basic form of covenant commitment, where we say, you know, I really believe God has called me to be here, that this is my spiritual home, that there are things that I need to receive, and there are things I need to give. So, and we also happen to like each other somehow. Uh, that's part of the process. And that's, we come to Ahava. Ahava is affection. It can be just emotional. It can be physical. Uh, and then Cheshek is uh, desire in a sense of being attracted uh, not something we usually think about, you know, in spiritual terms. But, you know, what's interesting is that God uses each one of these words to talk about His love for the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, let's turn to that. 
Sylvia, you look like you're about to volunteer. Okay. Seven, eight, two, nine? Yeah. Rather because of his love for you and his keeping the oath, he swore to your fathers, Adonai brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that Adonai your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant kindness for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his mitzvot. Yeah, thank you. So you actually have reverse order in these verses. You have Cheshek, uh the very beginning, then Ahava in the middle, and then Chesed here. Um, what that suggests simply is that um, God loves the nation of Israel uh, with every kind of possible love. Um, it's important for us to realize because we often think of God's love only as, as in terms of the Greek agape, um, um, committed love. You know, it's uh, you may have heard people talk in these terms, which I frankly find foolish, of, I can't stand your guts, but I love you with the love of Messiah. <laughs> you may have heard people say, people say something like that. That's bogus. Uh, and yes, there are times when you love someone with a committed love because they drive you mishogi and... You know, and if you're a parent, you understand what that's all about, right? Um, I won't go into the uh, choking reflex that you have to guard against. Well, you've gone from preaching to meddling. Now. Thank you, sir. Well, I, I'm pointing five fingers at me, Michael, so. Um, but uh, the short version is that God's love is full orbed. It's a full package. It's It's... It's like a uh, multifaceted diamond. And that's what God really expects from us. And yes, there are times when someone steps on our bunions and is extremely annoying, and we our natural tendency is to go away and leave me alone. I don't want to get near you because if you come close to me, I'm afraid you're going to bite me. Uh, and sometimes we have folks like that, Right, and so we do well just to to pray, Lord, uh, give me that covenant, committed kind of love for that person. And but at some point, what God has to do in our heart is is give us a soft heart for the individual. Amen. So that what comes forth is not just okay. I love you to a love of Messiah, but God somehow, regardless of who the person is and how obstreperous and obnoxious they may be, uh, God somehow gives us a soft heart. Look, the, these expressions of love are given by God towards the nation of Israel at, after 40 years of schlepping around in a desert during the time that the people of Israel drove the Lord Meshuggi. They got on his, on his last nerve 
over and over and over again. So if the Lord can express that kind of love, that's the model for us as well. Maurice. Um, Okay, so we're talking about chesed, committed love. And you're saying, okay, somebody is a certain way, and you say, you know what, stay away from me, and so on. Or at least you're saying to yourself, I can't get to know that person because they bite, let's say. Um, are you saying, we are, to me there's so much more in this than just, you're saying committed love. It's possible to love somebody. I mean, you certainly wouldn't cause them any harm. Certainly if they were in a ditch or if they were needing something, you'd want to help them. But that's, that's showing kindness. Right. But I don't equate that with if you recognize, okay, this is not a person that I can really deal with because for whatever reason, um, and it's a better part of wisdom. It's a better part of, in other words, you're just for giving an example there of, I say about that person, um, you know, okay, I see you bite, so I'm going to stay away from you. We need to have this chesed. But I don't see that that is not showing chesed if you recognize that the better part of wisdom is you don't embroil yourself with this person because they, whatever. And, and, and by the way, uh, chesed does mean stupidity. Right. And that's why, why I think that's important to come out with is because there's often a confusion between... You know, if if I say I love you, what does that mean? Does that mean that I always have to have you in my bosom all the time, as I'm not really loving you? Or do we apply some wisdom? In, I mean, we don't have everybody that close to us. Remember, remember, folks, that this always begins in the heart. It always begins in the heart. Uh, regardless of what we are able to do as far as outward actions, it has to begin here in the heart. And you remember what Yeshua said in, in the, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, that you kill people with your attitude. Mm -hmm. just, just by how you think of, of folks, according to Yeshua's words, you have already committed murder. So this really begins... Uh, with an attitude of the heart and by faith and God's providence then God enables us to go from something that's in the heart to something that takes form and expression uh, with the other person um, but the, the hardest work is not what we do for somebody else the hardest work is what God has to do right here that's the toughest part. And if God does that in us, then it's His business to provide the right kind of opportunities for us to be able to share what He's done in us and communicate that love to other people. Um, and part of the process is that we discern the particular assignment that God gives us with a particular individual. Um... But if, if God does the work here, then we depend on God to open doors and lead, etc., etc. Um, and, and we understand that, that the process has to come to greater degree of fullness. But we first of all have to be right in here. And Lord knows, I wouldn't be standing talking to you 
if God hasn't been working on me big time for the last 15 or 20 years. Um, it begins here, and when that's lacking, we pray for it. We pray that God will give us uh, a heart of compassion for people. It's a process. So, uh, Greek, everybody I'm sure is familiar with agape. And phileo. Okay. Um, agape also being uh, committed love and phileo being more alike. Uh, liking somebody. Hang on, David. I'm, I'm coming. Uh, we need to understand, though, that this is not, these two words are not always cut and dry and separated because there are times when there's a lot of overlap. So, for example, let me get my words out. So, for example, people make a big, big, big deal of John 21 where Yeshua was talking to Peter and saying, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, in one case it is agape, the other word. The other time uh, it is phileo. So people's added... What I've heard erroneously is people saying, well, the beginning Yeshua says, do you like, do you love me with a committed love? In other words, you have no choice, but you love me anyways. And then, and then the Lord finally gets around to saying, well, do you even like me? So in case, in case you've heard that, uh, let me humbly tell you that it's a bunch of baloney. Uh, because that's really not, not what, what's going on here. Uh, a, there's a lot of overlap between these two words in the Gospel of John. B, um, the point here is how many times did Peter deny Yeshua? Three. Three times. How many times did Yeshua feel like Peter needed to affirm his love? Three times. Three times. That's it. Three is one of the numbers for completion. So it, it isn't that you want to squeeze out a little a little insight from agape or phileo. The, the, Yeshua's point simply is, Peter, uh, you made a point of telling everybody in the whole world that you have nothing to do with me. Now, why don't you tell me face to face that you really do love me? But so. Yeshua was speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. He was not speaking in, in, in Greek. That's what you think. <laughs> well, John wrote in Greek, but that's... Well, no, no. Please understand that Yeshua was probably trilingual. Oh. Because, because... <laughs> because... Uh, but because uh, he spoke to Pilate in the Gospel of John. Uh, folks, hang on a second. Don't, don't disappear on me here. Uh, remember that Galilee was called Galilee of the Nations. Yes. Which means that you had Jewish villages, you had Greek villages. Oh. And the fishermen, when they went to sell their, their, their stuff, had to interact with the, not only the Jewish customers, but the Greek customers. Oh, they might speak. So, so yeah. And, and it's not as if, you know, the disciples in Yeshua were... Greek speakers like Paul was. But anyways... The, the point, we can take what John has to say, whether it's Greek or not, to the bank, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the point simply is three times, three times. 
Well, I was just thinking the other one, Chesed. <laughs> well, you know, Yeshua, and you're right, you're right, to Rosemary, and that is, even if they did know Greek, it was Jewish Greek, it was based on these concepts. Yes, that's what I thought. So, um... All right, so these are the words that um, are used, uh, some of the words. There are other words. Um, and cheshek, I don't think I mentioned, cheshek has to do with attraction. It's like uh, someone is saying, I'm stuck on you, I'm drawn to you. All right, um, now, love begins... Not because we came up with it. Where does love begin? God is love. God is love. Therefore, if we know God, we love. If we don't love, what does that suggest to you? We're not following the Lord. Not only are we not following the Lord... We have no connection with God. We've missed the experiential knowledge that God gives. So love comes from love comes from God, and furthermore, love is non-optional. In other words, um, we don't have the freedom to say, "I don't feel like loving anybody. I'm sick to death of humanity. I've been bit too many times." Uh, I'm not going to love. I'm going to be a sourpuss. Been there, done that. Got soundly rebuked by the Almighty. And uh, remember, folks, what did Yeshua say to the disciples? Um, John 13, 34. Everybody know that? I preached on it a few weeks ago. I hope that. <laughs> well, Rabbi David, would you tell us what's in John 13? I don't want to spoil it. Don't you don't want to spoil it. James, maybe you would tell us, sir. John 13, 34. How about, yes, you do tell us. Please. Hold on. <laughs> they will know you by your love. They'll know you by your love for another. That's part of it. Love me as Love each other as I have loved you. A new commandment I give to you. A new commandment, folks. Commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay. That ye also love one another. Commandment. It's mitzvah. It's the same moral force as what we find in Torah. God doesn't give us the opportunity to say, eh, okay, this is a, this is one of the ten suggestions or eleven suggestions, as the case may be. It is commandment, folks. What that means is that they're non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. In other words, we cannot say we're committed to the Lord and say, I'm not committed to loving God. Other folks. And uh, that's difficult. <clears throat> that's very difficult. In fact, I've got to tell you, I uh, had lunch with, with a guy who has been in ministry forever. 
he is an incredible guy. He ministers to people. He ministers to the pastors. And what he said to me is, I have to watch against becoming cynical. Because I see so much stuff. And we can become cynical and say, I see so much garbage. Therefore, what God is saying really isn't true. And we cannot do that. We have to say, yes, there's garbage. However, what God says is a mitzvah, is a commandment. We have no option. It's non-negotiable. We have no option but to say, yes, God, I want to do that. And because what it says, particularly in John, and, and I remember... Um, in fact, my nephew said to me, I don't like to read uh, the letter to John because it is so convicting, so much in the face. Well, yes. Uh, John in his old age knows that he cannot pussyfoot around and he says, you don't love, you hate your brother, you are from the devil. All right? Why don't you... Uh, Put it in, in politically correct language. No. You don't love, you're, repre you're representing the evil one. Yes, ma'am. Uh, were you going to explore how this mitzvah, love one another as I have loved you, differs from what they have learned in the Torah? I did in my message. You must have been in the class. Yes, I haven't heard that message yet, David, but I shall be. Um, I can listen to his message. If you'd like. It is on the website. It's one simple phrase he makes there. It's different than the book. All right, uh, Rabbi Remember David. Love your neighbor as yourself. He, right. says, love, he, said, he says basically, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Right. That's the difference. Right. Yeah. Well, and remember. Well, however, remember Yeshua quotes that as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so it's not as if he's opposed to that. He takes it a step farther, as Yeshua does in everything else. You know, Yeshua sets the bar so high that we get the fact that it's impossible. Yeshua said, love your, your neighbor as yourself. Uh, however, love as I've loved you. And John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no man unless he is... Michael, shut I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know you know. Yeah, love your brother, I'm sorry, I just went on automatic. It's all right. We forgive you. We love you. With 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 Ahava uh, and with Cheshek. All right. Yeah. All right, folks. Now we're talking. Um... You don't find that in, in the Torah explicitly. Uh, but remember that what Yeshua does is He draws out the principles that are stated in the Torah and the Prophets and He amplifies them. Um, and so that, folks, is what we're expected to do. We see that in Philippians. I want to park in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 to 5. 
Michael. Okay. And then Peter. James, sir, you're volunteering. Of course. One through... One through five. If there be therefore any consolation in Mashiach, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Yeshua HaMashiach. Thank you. So then verses 5 to 11 Paul goes on to speak about Yeshua's example. What was Yeshua's example? Did he trumpet himself and, and say, Here I am, follow me? Rachel. No, he made himself the lowest. Okay. So, uh, what Paul says is that the same kind of mindset that was in Yeshua is supposed to permeate us. Which means that unlike what we see in the world, and unfortunately sometimes what we see among fellow believers, where people engage in self-aggrandizement, uh, people engage in building their own kingdom, um, what, what we are supposed to do is the exact opposite. And here he gives a number of uh, statements that indicate what our love is supposed to look like. So, what is he saying that our love is supposed to look like? Being like-minded, okay, that does not mean thinking exactly the same kinds of thoughts. Because remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about unity and diversity, right? Yes. Okay. The Lord doesn't expect us to go into a blender and come out like Gerber. Um, unity and diversity. So, basically, understand the vision that God gives us and, and learn how to walk together with that vision. Unity of purpose, unity of mind meaning that, that we are pulling in the same direction. Because God has called us, He's brought us together, He's given us a commission, and we're learning how to come together, love each other, and work together. So unity is always essential. Then there's also humility. Um, consider the other's interests above your own. Now, how easy is that to do? Rachel again. Is it? Why? Um, people think about themselves first. Right. Yeah. What are we inclined to do? Well, let's see. Am I taken care of? Am I having a good time? Uh, am I doing well, etc., etc., etc.? 
Um, and if we are especially altruistic, well, how is my family doing? So when we take and apply that to God's family, God's mishpacha, then it is easy to apply the same kind of principles of how am I doing? Was I fed today? Uh, were people nice to me? Etc., uh, etc. Et and so the, the kind of attitude that, that we are to emulate here is not self-centered and self-focused, but other-focused. In other words, recognizing the fact that God has put us in a mishpacha and that it is part of our concern for other people's welfare. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Um, a question on like-mindedness. Okay. And I can't, I don't have a verse that has that word in it, um, but would one of the meanings of that like-mindedness be, because it sounds like what you're saying is like-minded is a similar vision. Correct. We have a similar vision. But would like-mindedness always be also to put the same value on everybody? In other words, not to decide, well, this person, you know, they walked in with fine raiment and so I will, you know, and this other one is very poor, so I'll tell them to sit at the back. But to, to, to put the same uh, value. value on each person, would that be included in, would like-mindedness include that sort of it, it uh, It's definitely part of the picture, not specifically that, that particular word, because like-minded literally means thinking the same thing. I mean, that's what the... Language, but obviously that's the case. You can't have family life as a congregation if if you look at someone who is nicely dressed and you say, "Wow, you know, how you doing?" and then ignore somebody else who looks like a schlep. Um, so all of that is based on Yeshua's example. Okay, um, let's look briefly at First Corinthians thirteen. You know the Love, love chapter that everybody has on posters and on t-shirts and knows absolutely nothing what it means. You sound like you haven't memorized. You want to articulate? I'm just starting whoever it was off. If I have the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a thumbing gong or noisy symbol. If I have faith, it's to move all mountains and so forth and so forth. So I don't know who's doing the reading. So forth and so forth is not in there. <laughs> is it? But I know you have someone appointed to... to read it. Well, there's no one appointed, so if you have... You can be appointed to read it. <laughs> What's that? You if can you be appointed to read it. I have no reading equipment. Okay. What am I supposed to read? First, First Corinthians 13, 13 oh, what you were just reciting, dear. Okay. One through eight. One speak with the tongues. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and all, all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I own, 
And if I hand over my body so I might boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not brag, it is not puffed up, it does not behave inappropriately, it does not seek its own way, it is not provoked, it keeps no account of wrong, it does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will pass away. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. That's up to eight. Thank you. So, obviously, none of us measure up to that. Um, the beginning, what, is, what does Paul start out with by saying uh, about the value of love? It's everything. And love is more, the most important thing. It's yeah. In other words, if you don't have love, anything else you have is worthless. Yes. Now, think about the implications, especially for folks who are amazingly gifted and dynamic, etc., who come and basically offer themselves, here I am. And over a period of time, you learn to look at them and say, you know, you have awesome gifts, but your gifts are utterly and, and totally worthless because you're lacking this basic quality. Yes, ma'am. Um, is that agapeo in the Greek? Yes. So, uh, also at, at verse 8, I want us to read verse 8 because it says, at the end of, uh, at the end of time... What will remain will be what? Love. Why? Attitude never fails. Because this is how God is defined. Never fails. You know, and this is part of the lies of the culture that we, we deal with that says that God is an angry God. That God is an unjust God. Whereas what we see in Scripture is that He defines Himself by being compassionate and patient and merciful all words that have to do with love in, in one kind or another. Um, I guess he's saying that love is what, that which is perfect. Because he says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is partial will pass away. Correct. And the partial is all the other stuff. Yeah. So think about how incredibly crucial that is. He's, he is stacking that uh, even against the kind of faith that will move mountains. Now that's big stuff, isn't it? Because yeah. Yeshua said if you have a little kernel of faith, you say to the mountains, get, and the mountain will be gone. Um, and think about the culture that we live in. Uh, among fellow believers, There is uh, the premium is given to people who are able to do things that are powerful. And that's what we're attracted to. However, in God's scheme of things, that's secondary compared to the attitude of the heart that has the Lord's love. Greater than, than all the other things. And, and yes, we can go through all the criteria of love being patient, love being kind, 
uh, not rude, self-seeking, etc., etc. I wanted to move on for a moment uh, in the, the time that we have to First uh, Peter chapter four. And verses 7 and 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto... Unto, pr- unto prayer, and above all things, have a fervent, fervent uh, love among yourselves, for love covers the multitude of sins. Okay, so several things I wanted to draw our attention to. First of all, he said the end of all things is near. That was 2,000 years ago. And I know these cynics will say, ah, that was 2,000 years ago. It's, it's not going to happen. Well, I don't know about you. Looking around, I'm convinced that we don't have another 2,000 years. Um, because there are lots of things. There are lots of things that we can look and say, this had to happen, this had to happen, this had to happen in order for what we see in Revelation to come about. And, and we're there. Um, therefore be clear minded don't get rattled by by stuff Uh, be self controlled so that you can pray in other words if you're whacked out because you see things and you're nervous you can't pray but notice what he says in verse 8 above all above all love each other deeply or fervently what does that suggest? It says that our notion of love is sometimes pretty pathetic because we have the superficial notion of, you know, you see someone, you say, hi, how you doing, etc., etc. You flash a smile, you go on. Um, this has to be something that is much more, much deeper because notice the next section, uh, the next uh, chunk of the sentence, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now this is a proverbial statement, it comes from the book of Proverbs, we also see that in James. Uh, So think of the implication of loving deeply and then having love cover a multitude of sins. Loving deeply means that it's something that that lasts over a period of time. And I like to call that a rainy day friend. And versus a sunshine friend, someone who is with you in the good times and then when things get difficult, they bail. Um, And if you don't have a rainy day friend, ask God to give you a rainy day friend. Someone who will walk with you uh, when things get difficult and who, who will not bail. I've been blessed 
Some of you have met uh, my friend Ed Tafalowski, who has been a rainy day friend for about 20 years. Um, love covers a multitude of sins. What does that suggest to you? Suggest you to love with all your heart. So love and cover all your sins. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know. <laughs> kind of like. Well, it suggests, it tells me that. If you hang around believers, there will be sin. Guaranteed. Somebody will step on your bunions. Somebody will offend you. If it hasn't happened, well, wait another two or three days. It will happen. I'm sorry to say, folks, none of us ha has arrived. None of us has the measure of the fullness of Yeshua yet. So we do stupid things. We offend each other. And if we were to keep a record, we would be in deep trouble. By the way, I had the misfortune of sitting down with a brother who had, who had done that, who had uh, accumulated a number of records of things that I had done over four years. And we had a, a meeting to try and reconcile, and he read off all the things that I had done. Uh, w was not a great deal of fun. Really? What did you do? I uh, I responded as best as I could and realized that I'm not Yeshua and I'm a sinner and uh, I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm not Yeshua yet. We'll be, when we see Him, we'll see Him face to face, we'll be like Him. At this point, all of us have our stuff. And we cannot be around each other and love each other unless we're willing to allow that love, the love of God, to cover a multitude of sins. Because otherwise we will be continually taking our black book and writing things down and saying, oh, yeah, you're just like so-and-so, what they did to me back here. And, and, and you're doing what you did back here. And at some point, you can either do that or ignore what the Word of God says, and that is that the pattern is for love to cover a multitude of sins. It's called forgiveness. Yes. That too. Yes, ma'am. Um, just to clarify, you're not saying that, that that phrase means that even though a person has obviously done something wrong, um, that you're trying to tell them it's okay. It, it, you know, it's no big deal. We do call sin sin, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just not keeping a log of all the offenses. Is that correct? Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, because Scripture says to speak the truth in love. And so there's no conflict between those two. Not, not as far as the Word of God is concerned. Uh, we're called to walk in transparency, to walk in the light, which means... Yeshua tells us over and over and over again, where there is an offense, we speak it. We don't wait two or three years or five years and then come back and then explode like a volcano. Uh, we or deal. dump the truck. Huh? Or dump the truck. Or dump the truck or, you know, um, we deal with it truthfully. However, we give each other lots of room recognizing the fact that we're sinners. 
that we have stuff, all of us. And because the Lord pours love into us, we then are able to pour love into each other. It doesn't mean that an offense is ignored, it's dealt with. But part of the dealing with the offenses is also learning to see, you know, I think part of it is learning to have compassion for people, knowing that you probably have offended as well. But I mean, also, I think part of the the uh, trying to go beyond it is, is to see each other as in, first of all, in relationship, but also to see each other under construction kind of thing. <clears throat> Definitely under construction. And part of it is understanding that, that we are um, in, in a family, in a body, that each of us has a part to play in the other person's life. A couple of more verses and then we'll finish. Um, Galatians 6, 2. Would you read for us, please? Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Messiah. And by the way, you have several places to talk about bearing. Uh, this one is very, a very uh, vivid one. Um, it has the idea of helping someone who's carrying a heavy load. In other words, a brother or sister... Um, who is, who is really under it, and helping to bear, that means that you are engaging what it is that they're going through. Imperative, present, active, indicative, how about that? Of the verb? Of the verb to the spastazzo. Very good, David. I mean, at the computer in front of Yes, it, it's right in that bearing, bearing one another's burdens has the connotation of being there for someone who's really under it, difficult circumstances. And you can't just, like we sometimes want to do, is, is throw a Bible hand grenade uh, from a safe distance and say, the Lord loves you, the Lord is going to take care of everything, everything is fine. No, it's, it's like Yeshua. You engage with people, you engage with people, you help bear the load that they're ca- carrying, you understand that you're not Yeshua, you have your assignment, but what this is saying is part of being uh, members of a mishpacha. And part of it, it can also mean that it's something that you do with someone else, too. It because I, I look at that, and I look at the illustration of the gentleman who was on the bed, and there were four people that carried him to Egypt. That always has the connotation of doing that with somebody else. Um, Romans uh, 15, 1 to 3, and then we'll finish with that. (laughs) 
Aaron, we haven't called on you, sir. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even then Yeshua did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Okay, now there are a couple of things I want to park on. And, and by the way, as Rabbi David pointed out, the, the language there suggests that this is something that you do on an ongoing basis. You don't just say, whoops, uh, I'll help you, and uh, tomorrow, that's it. Uh, it's on an ongoing basis. Here, the word to bear has the idea of this is something, uh, something I owe you. Now, that's kind of a strange concept. Why does it? Why is it that Paul is saying that we owe, or uh, we are under obligation? Think think of it in terms of being part of a of a community. Okay, if someone is in a bad place. We owe it to them because we owe it to the larger whole. If someone is suffering and we ignore them, guess what happens to the whole community, to the whole mishpacha? It suffers. The whole community suffers as well. So, uh, bearing here has that idea of having the obligation, the responsibility. We don't just walk away as, ah, whatever. The second part that I want to look at real briefly is please one another. Now, I've got to be real clear here. Uh, when you're speaking about pleasing somebody, what does that imply? Does it mean that whatever they feel like they need, we're going to give it to them? No. Going back to the heart. How so, Michael? Because it is dealing with how you honor them and how you have a good attitude toward them. And it also doesn't mean that you are there to enable them. Enable them in their junk. Pleasing them has the sense of you know what's best for them or you have the discernment of what they really need and you go in that direction. And, and the model for us there, of course, is that we do that like Yeshua did. He didn't please himself, but he was committed. Um, he was committed to to love others, as the Father had directed him and led him. So, the love that we see here goes beyond what we are comfortable with. And this is true of the Word of God. Scripture gets in our face in ways that we are just as soon have the Lord say, Okay, Lord, this is, this is getting up close and personal here. But the basic reality is, this is how the Lord loves us. And if we are growing and getting to know Him, that's how we'll love other people.
All right, next Wednesday night, we're going to have this awesome occasion that our beloved uh, photographer and guitarist and all-around good guy will be sharing their pictures. So we'll take a break um, from from this uh, segment, and then we'll head into the Mo'adim, into the holidays. All right. Um, can we give a hand to Rabbi Haim for this six weeks? Thank you. Been a blessing. And uh, Rachel, dear, I'm going to call on you to finish with a word of prayer. Would you do that? Um, I guess. <laughs> Could you? Help us to grow in a greater knowledge of truth and understanding. Amen. Amen. Amen.